you have discovered season 3 of the 542 and the Blue podcast. Discussions of law enforcement history, issues and incidents in the Appalachian Mountains and beyond. Your host and narrator, Scott Lunsford, retired police detective, sergeant, author and researcher. Episode 319. A Shade of Blue Story On. The owner and editor of the Asheville Citizen newspaper assaults the court solicitor in Pack Square. A follow-up to that assault and in his involvement with the clan. This is Victoria your producer for 542 and the Blue. Music by purpleplanet.com used with permission and authorized under common rights media sources. Scott, you can start now. 3, 2, 1. Thank you, Victoria, for the opening, and welcome back to 542 in the Blue, where we look at unusual court cases, law enforcement issues, incidents of a criminal nature that have occurred in the Appalachian Mountains and beyond. Today, we're going to talk about an incident that occurred in downtown Asheville on the Pack Square. Pack Square is getting a lot of attention today due to various reasons. History is history, and facts are facts. And today we're talking about an incident or an assault and a shooting that occurred on that location. Now, most people are familiar with the outlaw Will Harris and his activity in the downtown area. He is mentioned in several of the downtown haunted Asheville tours. If you have a chance to check those out, I would highly recommend it. Uh, Joshua Warren runs a very good business with that. His people are very knowledgeable. You can still see today chips from the Marble Advanced Monument where the bullets impacted in the shootout between Will Harris and some Asheville police officers after he had shot and killed several people on Eagle Street in the block area. But but today we're going before Will Harris and we're going to look at an incident that happened in the 1860s downtown Asheville. And again, this is another story of a shooting. This occurred before the monument was constructed and is a shade of blue story apparently very few people are actually aware of. Today's shade of blue starts with Mr. Virgil S. Lusk, L-U-S-K who was at one time the solicitor of the 12th Judicial District, a strong unionist at the time, but he was actually one time, in fact, a Confederate cavalry officer. Lusk had become a staunch supporter of the uh, Reconstruction values and ideas as he was a solicitor of the 12th Judicial District. Now, what is a solicitor? It's basically the same thing as today what we would call the district attorney. You can see this strong support of uh, the values that Virgil Lusk had in his prosecution of several of the court cases. Prosecution of one in particular brought charges against some of the Knight Riders, or the group that was known as the Klan, or the KKK. Lusk was a local man. He was born in part of Buncombe County that had, was later divided off and became part of Madison County. That happened in 1836. 
Now Lusk lived in Marshall at the time, and this is about the same time the Klan began to terrorize his district. Now in his writings, he later said that he felt that he had to take a stand against the Klan's actions and the violence in the name of the law, even if it did cost him his life, and it just might have. He investigated the violence and damage that was happening in Madison County at the time and ended up filing charges in Madison County Superior Court against some 20 suspected Klansmen for the attack on a local man who had, quote, had been outrageously beaten and driven from his home with his helpless family, unquote. Now, it was common knowledge that threats of all kinds of violence circulated against those who prosecuted or testified against Klan members. Many of the witnesses in Lusk's court case against the Klan, they actually refused to cooperate or testify at court. Didn't take long once the trial got started that Lusk, solicitor Lusk, discovered evidence during the trial that several of the men on the jury were actually Klansmen. Now that kind of stacks the odds in the defendant's favor a great deal, so this caused the solicitor to request that the case be sent to federal court for trial. Now once it was moved to federal jurisdiction and federal protection for witnesses was no longer a problem, many of the witnesses who had refused to testify in state court agreed to testify in the federal trial. Some witnesses going as far as to admitting to perjury, lying under oath in state court because of their fear of reprisal. Now Lusk won his federal court case. That in itself caused him more problems, basically making himself a target. Now the Klan knew that they had to take Lusk seriously and not allow him to stand in the way of their work at restoring what they referred to as white democratic rule in the mountains of North Carolina. And it was soon after the federal verdict was handed down that an editorial in the Asheville Citizen newspaper, a newspaper owned and founded by a Confederate Civil War veteran officer, Mr. Randolph A. Shotwell. The editorial, according to the paper, was written by an anonymous source. It called Lusk's prosecution as a political ploy and not for the good of the community. The writer accused him of prostituting his office to the corrupt Republican Party as well as made other innuendos and accusations in the article or the editorial as it were. Now, due to his position in standing as the solicitor, Lusk felt that he couldn't let this question of his honor go unanswered. So he wrote and published a response himself that was published in the pages of the Asheville Pioneer newspaper. But under his name and not hiding behind a non de plume, or as was the original article or editorial, an anonymous writer. Now the anonymous writer or author of the editorial it later came out and was revealed to be the mayor of Asheville, Melvin E. Carter. Carter was a 
native of Madison County, and was currently living in Buncombe County or the city of Asheville and got elected as mayor. Now angrily and with the encouragement of uh, some of the local clan leaders, Randolph Shotwell, if you remember him, took the lust editorial in the newspaper that was his competition as an attack on his paper and an attack on him personally. And he acted promptly after his publication to write what he thought was a wrong. During the week, Mr. Randolph Shotwell ended up observing Solicitor Lusk in the northwest corner of what is today Pack Square. And he was talking to an attorney, Mr. James H. Merriman. If you're from the Asheville area or pass through here, more than likely you've heard of Merriman Avenue or as some people who move to our area call it, Merriman Avenue. At Merriman, those were the guys that hung out with Robin Hood. James H. Merriman was the brother of Augustus Merriman, an attorney and judge, and was actually a fairly high-ranking individual in the Confederate uh, government at the time, before all this occurred. And that is who actually Merriman Avenue is, is named for. Now it's not been determined in the documented history of the event from one side or the other if the attorney James Merriman was actually in on the incident and helped to set up the solicitor or not. But it does make you wonder. One issue that is clear is that he did not warn Solicitor Lusk of the man coming up behind him with a raised cane. Apparently, Lusk never saw it coming. Shotwell, the Asheville citizen, owner and paper man and editor, struck Lusk a very strong blow to the back of his head, causing a bleeding wound and knocking him down to the ground. Once on the ground, he grabbed Solicitor Lusk by the collar and held him up with one hand and continued to strike the solicitor repeatedly on the head and shoulders with his rattan walking cane. Now on the ground and unable to clearly see who was beating him and not receiving any assistance or help from anyone, Lusk pulled a Smith & Wesson 32 caliber pistol from his pocket, fired off two rounds in the direction of his attacker. Well, being so close, it's kind of hard to miss. Now knocked back, the editor Shotwell stumbled back from the victim. Free of the assault from the walking stick, Lusk got to his feet and spun around to look for his attacker or possible accomplices to this attack on him. Of course, he had his gun still in hand. It was still loaded with a couple of more rounds. Shotwell received bullet wounds in each of his legs. He dropped the walking stick and threw up his hands, yelling out, I don't have no weapon! And Shotwell was taken from Pack Square by a protective group of his friends who must have been tipped off to the upcoming event and the attack and just kind of wandered that way to watch the, the mayhem. Now hearing the shots, the police responded to the square and the Asheville City Marshal found Mr. Lusk the solicitor, injured and still holding on to his 32 caliber Smith & Wesson pistol, 
standing among a very quickly growing crowd of spectators, the marshal arrested Lusk and quickly taking him away to the mayor's office. Now Mayor Carter, remember him, the guy that wrote the article, the writer of the editorial that caused the conflict between Shawell and provoked Lusk in the first place? Mayor Carter heard the matter in his office. He found Solicitor Lusk guilty of discharging his gun inside the town limits and fined him five dollars. Now this understanding really ticked off, uh, for lack of a better word that's more PG rated, uh, Solicitor Lusk. But he decided not to argue the point and the mayor's ruling and, and the fine. He paid and left the mayor's office. Now in the meantime, it seems an angry crowd had formed outside the mayor's door. Word of the incident had spread pretty quickly about town. Luckily for Lusk, several of the men in the large crowd that were reported in the papers to being over 100 strong were veterans of Solicitor Lusk's former Confederate Cavalry Command. Now one of these veterans handed him some more rounds for his pistol that he reloaded. By that time it had been returned to him by the city marshal. Reloading the pistol in front of the crowd and the city marshal who was still standing beside him, Lusk pointed to the crowd of angry people before him and told the marshal that he and his cavalry veterans and friends were ready to fight their way out of there if the marshal and his men could not disperse the mob peacefully. Luckily, the marshal and his men were able to do this, and this kept Lusk from firing his Smith & Wesson anymore that day. Now, this was not the end of Lusk and the citizens' newspaperman, Shotwell. Their interactions and conflicts. Rationalizing that the clan violence of the day became kind of a second job for newspaperman Randolph Shotwell and his published papers that were written in 1880, Shotwell defended the Klan as a logical response to Republican misrule. Confronted by what he called Republican corruption, Shotwell explained it was, quote, nature's first law of self-protection to seize the law into their own hands for the redress of grievances. The resistance to opposition, wrote the former Klan leader, is one of the axioms of freedom, unquote. From this perspective, he stated that, quote, the Klan was the legitimate and inevitable offspring of radical malice and misrule and outrage, unquote. Now, this did happen. Solicitor Lusk did bring charges. Both men ended up charging each other. Mr. Lusk was found not guilty. Mr. Shotwell was actually found guilty, but he never showed up in court and there was never anything said about his fines, him having to do any time or anything. It just kind of was, yeah, he did it and brushed it away. So that makes you wonder. Now in his memoirs, now in his writing, in his writing, Shotwell mentioned that he and Merriman, the guy that the solicitor was talking to in the square, were friends. Shotwell reported this event slightly different in his documentation. 
He maintained that he went armed because he felt that Lusk meant him personal harm after his response to Carter's editorial being published. According to Shotwell, he saw Lusk talking to a friend of his among the crowd, and he seized the opportunity to publicly chastise his foe. He claimed it was him or his foe, as Lusk was awaiting me. Intending only to challenge the editorial, he said Lusk attacked him without provocation. Ain't that the way it goes. Now, there is another incident that occurred in the mountains of western North Carolina that is also kind of a shade of blue story. This incident indirectly involved uh, Solicitor Lusk and a federal judge and a gentleman by the name of Justice, Mr. Justice and directly involved, again, the founder of the Asheville Citizen newspaper, Randolph Shotwell. This is documented well in court records on file in the state archives and in other locations, as well as in the newspapers of the day. On June 12, 1871, what was described in the records as a, quote, perfect volley of bullets were fired into the front door of James Justice's home after the rounds had splintered the front door, a large group of men who were made up, to quote the court records, looking more like a man would imagine that a devil would look like. Interesting description. Justice was completely caught off guard. Dressed only in a nightshirt, he begged for his life to no avail. Pushing him out of his bedroom, he stumbled before the group of disguised devilmen. Yelling for help and assistance from neighbors and friends, he yelled into the warm night air as loud as he could and did not receive any assistance. He ended up being silenced by being struck in the face with a pistol, pulled outside and beaten kicked in the ribs. Mr. Justice was dragged into the street by two of the devilmen. To quote, again, court records, In the street, the three were greeted with the most hideous screams of exhalation and fairly lighted up the street with the blaze of their pistols. Now, that's great testimony and descriptions. Justice decided that, well, they're going to kill me. Now, before the night Riders did that, they wanted some information over and over. He denied knowledge of the location of some political comrades who were the, the federal judge and solicitor Lusk, and who they might be with and where they're at. They accused him of betraying his race. They told Justice they were going to rid the country of the damned infamous black government. They bit and cursed on justice as a proponent of Negro suffrage and Negro supremacy. John Good, a Klansman that had gone to court before where justice had testified against him, repeated his opinion several times that justice would believe a black man over a white man any day. Again, justice begged for leniency, begged for mercy, but a man who was later identified as newspaper owner and editor Randolph Shotwell, now recovered from the injuries received from the solicitor, Virgil Lusk, responded in a poorly mimicked Irish accent that Justice was putting it on. In other words, Justice was faking it. 
When the blood started coming from head wounds, however, that commenced Shotwell to let them sit up. It was said in court that he replied, It's that damn black equity blood that is running out, he told Mr. Justice, and it's that fake Irish brogue, and it will do you good to get rid of it. The help for justice came from quite an unexpected source at that time. The South Carolina commander of the Klan, there from Spartanburg, appeared to be in charge of the raid on Justice's home and he took pity on Justice, telling him that they were going to break up the damned infamous thing and were going to kill men like you who advocate any such government or constitution. Taking pity on Mr. Justice, though, the leader announced that he would spare Justice's life on his word to retreat from his present political course. But the other Knight Riders, they didn't agree with that. They shouted that the Klan's attempt was to kill Jenkins. Now, to protect Justice, the commander had men that were loyal to him that he brought from South Carolina. They surrounded Justice and he was able to get justice released on his promise to support southern men and to meet them the next week to report on the location of the judge and and solicitor as both of them had to go into hiding temporarily due to attacks by the night riding clansmen that had been occurring justice took the deal and they let him limp on home Although Justice did escape with his life, the Klan and the Democratic Conservatives slowly took power in many of the political arenas in the mountains of Western North Carolina. One of the outcomes of this was newspaperman Randolph Shotwell, because of his activities with the Klan, was arrested on July 5, 1871. He was brought to trial in the Senate chamber in Raleigh. He was tried and convicted and given six years in federal prison and fined $5,000. Later, he ended up being released by President Grant. Shotwell never married and he is buried in the Confederate section of the Oakwood Cemetery in Raleigh, North Carolina. Now, if you want more information on Shotwell and these incidents that were happening during Reconstruction and the violence that occurred and some of the other interesting pieces of history, it's out there. Shotwell wrote a three-volume set of documentation on his life and his views of what happened to him and how he was railroaded. Volume 2 is over 300 and some pages long. There are other articles that, that are out there. Uh, the Klan in the Southern Mountains, the Lusk-Shotwell Controversy. This was published in the Appalachian Journal in 1981. You can also go back to Asheville newspapers. The newspaper, the Asheville Pioneer, August 13, 1968, talks about the situation. The North Carolina Daily Standard from that same year talks about the involvement. Virgil Lusk, in 1923, wrote his own account of Klan activity in the 12th Judicial District of North Carolina and how he recalled it which was completely different from Shotwell's, as I said. You can find more information in the North Carolina State Archives, the Asheville Citizens website, Wikipedia, the North Carolina history version of Wikipedia. All these information sources are out there and it's available to look at and to read and it's very interesting. 
There's a lot of history out there that we are not aware of. And we probably should be. So that's our Shade of Blue stories for this week. I hope you found it interesting. For more information on some of my books, you can go to scottlunsfordauthor.com or if you like, you can go to 542andtheblue.com spelled out where you can sign up and get a notification every time one of our new podcasts goes online. And there's also a couple of other places that you can do that. iHeartRadio, their podcast app has a way you could sign up and get notification of our new podcasts as they're going as they're going out that's also available so check them out if you'd like to get in touch with me you can reach me through the contact page at both of those websites we'll be happy to hear from you I'm getting some really good ideas on future stories that's where this idea came from I received some email questions about some things that have happened happened downtown Asheville in past history and in doing some research come up with that we talked about today so drop me a line be happy to hear from you until our next podcast comes out next week remember to be safe and be secure and do something nice for somebody it'll make you feel good and make them feel good and that's kind of important in this time of that we're living in all right Victoria I'm going to give it back to you. You can close this out, and we'll talk to you all later. Thanks for listening. Bye. You have been listening to the 542 and the Blue Podcast. Discussions of law enforcement history, issues and incidents in the Appalachian Mountains and beyond. For more information on future podcasts and when they will be released, as well as a list of previous Shades of Blue stories, go to scottlunsfordauthor.com. Copies of Scott's books can also be found there, as well as on Amazon.com. This is Victoria, your producer for the 542 and the Blue. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.